0: Lord Jesus, thank you so much for just the, the gift of grace that you give us, Lord, that, that we even have the ability and opportunity uh, given to us to, to speak your truth, to declare the glory of, of your grace, Lord. So, Lord, we pray tonight, I pray for a filling of your spirit, Lord, to, to communicate clearly, to not waste my words, uh, but to, to point people to you. And so, Lord Jesus, that that is my desire. I pray that that would be the desire of the hearts here tonight. And that people would leave uh, with something to grab onto from your word and to meditate upon. And may it go down deep and and change their hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said, the heart. And we're going to look at it through Proverbs. Um, I'm going to quote a bunch of different verses, but you guys don't have to flip there. Um, Otherwise, this would just be like this sound all night long and be like an ocean in here. So um, we're going to look at the heart. And Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And that might seem like an obvious thing, a good thing, but... We want to look into that just a little further because uh, there, there's, there's so much to the heart. And actually, it tends to be overlooked in our culture and in religion and in philosophy. Um, Jesus also said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So we see there, there's something beneficial to having your heart cleansed and purified because it makes you able to see God and And that 's not to say like if you 've sinned today and and you 've sinned in the past, that you 'll never ever see God, but rather the the ability to see the ability to see him work in your life is is made available to you through uh, the power and the cleansing and the regeneration that he makes available to you in jesus so so if your heart is filthy, if it 's dirty, it can be changed, it can be washed, it can be cleansed so uh The heart really does matter to God, like I was saying. A lot of religions and philosophies, apart from Christianity, uh, they want to deal with the external. And so they see problems on the outside. They they see issues that that people have, and they write a book, or they have a philosophy, or they have counseling. And uh, the problem is that it actually stems from something deeper than just external circumstances or an outward situation, but it actually stems from within the heart. So, as you know, if you're digging a garden and you have weeds, you need to dig up the root. You don't just want to yank up the top of the weed because it will keep growing back. Uh, Sadly, that's the same situation with, with people, and they don't understand that. So, we have all these little fires that we're constantly trying to put out in our lives, little weeds growing, and we want to tear them up, but we leave the root there, and the root keeps popping back up, and we can't figure it out. We're like, well, I, I've done every 12-step program there is, and I've, I've joined clubs, and I've gotten counsel and, and applied the Band-Aids everywhere I can, but it, I, I still struggle with this. I still struggle with this sin. It keeps coming back. So the issue of sin is, is really an important issue. And in uh, Proverbs 20, not, uh, verse 9, as I said, Who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from sin. And I was joking with Rich earlier, well, actually, anybody can say that. They can just, my heart is pure, I am clean from sin. But that's not the point. It's not whether you're capable of saying it, but actually, can you say it and can it be true in your life? And as Proverbs is asking this, it's really pointing out that no one can say that. We have a a deep-seated problem, deep-rooted problem of sin that needs to be dealt with. But how can we become clean? How can we be pure? Now, if For those of us who are Christians, we know that in Jesus Christ, our hearts are made clean. They're washed clean, and we are a new creation, and we have a new life within us. Our hearts have been made pure. And so we know that that is in Jesus, but we don't always remember this as we go about our lives living as Christians. And we end up getting caught up in the same sins. As I was saying, we we keep trying to remove that weed of sin, but the root won't go away. And really, I guess we need to define what sin is. Sin is really, it's anything that dishonors, disregards, or disobeys God. Pretty simple, right? And that would include sins of omission, uh, where you don't do what you're supposed to do, and sins of commission, where you do the things you're not supposed to do. And this would include everything from your thoughts to your deeds and even your motives. And... We can't say, I've kept myself clean, because actually, it comes all the way from within our heart. We can look good on the outside, like the Pharisees. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, but they had dead men's bones inside. We don't want to simply have a a form of religion, of religiosity, and and be painted all pretty, and, and go to the church and look like we've got it all together, because God must be blessing us because of how great our lives look. That's not what we want to be. We want to actually have it cleansed from the inside out and and let the change happen that way. So the question is, then, why do we do the things we do? Why do we sin? And there's basically two answers to this. The first one, uh, philosophies and and religions answer. And we have actually, let's look at some philosophy answers here. Freud, uh, Sigmund Freud, you guys are all familiar with him. He said... Primal urges picked up from our evolutionary processes are what cause us to behave the way we do, to have our outward actions look the way they do. Carl Jung, who's a psychologist, he said, problems are ultimately collective unconsciousness from racial history. So it's all the history even before we were born, all our parents' history and racial conflict and all that kind of stuff going on. That's their answer to it. Carl Rogers, another psychologist, it said we tend to overlook our goodness and forget how wonderful we really are, and and that it impinges upon uh, environmental, physical, and emotional factors which compel us to do good things. the The thrust of it is that we're really good people deep down inside, and it's actually everything on the outside that causes us to behave the way we do. Now, the Bible it has an altogether different answer than religion and psychology. And I keep using those terms separately while people refer to Christianity as a religion. Hopefully by the end of this you'll see it's not simply a religion like other religions because it deals with something deeper. It deals with the heart. So the Bible says, ultimately we have a sin nature at the center of who we are. And it stems all the way back to our father Adam and Mother Eve. They sinned against God. And because we are their offspring... We inherit from them a sin nature uh, romans five twelve through twenty one talks about how through one man 's sin, all fell, all were made guilty uh, and but then it talks about how Jesus Christ, through one man 's sacrifice, we were all made alive again. Um, so we have have this nature that 's within us, and a great myth is that we 're all autonomous individuals and and i 'm I'm innocent of sin until I get older, I'm, I'm not born into sin, we're all, uh, there's that song, we are born innocent, Da-da-da, believe me, 80, whatever, however that song goes, we are born innocent, no, that's not true, sure, we're born innocent of having committed any sin, but we are actually born into sin because we inherit that sin nature in our father and mother, Adam and Eve, and so we don't have any excuse, though we still choose to sin. We're both born into it, and yet we choose it. So the psalmist he even said, we are wicked from my mother's womb. And we have a, a flaw, a proclivity toward rebellion, uh, rooted in our heart. And that that is the big issue within our heart. And Proverbs actually continually refers to the heart as we go through. It is in the ESV translation, it's... Um, 77 times in the book of Proverbs, and there's only 31 chapters. So that's quite a few number of times that the word heart comes up within that book. Throughout the entire Bible, it actually appears over 900 times. So clearly there is something very important to God about the heart and about what, what we must do. And the Bible, it really connotates that the heart is it's at the center of who we are. It's, it's not physically necessarily saying my beating heart that's in my chest, you know, cardiac arrest kind of thing. It's talking about the center of who we are, the very center of our our emotions, our thought, our actions. Really, it's it's our, our spirit, our consciousness. And it is actually, it's so important that we keep our heart, because as we look at Proverbs uh, 4.23, it says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the streams of life. So here's the word picture that the, the proverb paints for us. In some regard, your life, it's like a river. And when you look to your heart, as the source of all that flows in the river, it comes from the top, right? When you're looking at a river and there's dirt or filth or pollution within a certain part, do you think, well, that must have come from way downstream? No, everything's flowing downstream. But at the source is where it's coming from. Most likely, or upstream from where you are. So you want to, uh, to view your life as these springs of water that things are flowing through. And ultimately, your heart is what it's coming from. Everything in your life flows from your heart. So all of the issues in our life can only be dealt with by going back to our heart, which is the source. And so the, we got to change our thinking about things and realize the problem is way upstream. It's not what's going on in the stream. It's not the symptoms. It's not, it's not the debris that's floating within the stream, but it's actually the, the source, the heart up at, at the top of the stream. So uh, today, people, they want to address the behavior, and that would really be the, the symptoms, the things floating within the stream. So they... They look at things and they, they go, I want to I wanna stop being addicted to that thing. Or I want to stop being angry. I want to stop being violent. I want, I want to stop being depressed. I want to start being happy. And so they go and they, they try and find a book or, or counsel on that particular thing. And there's not this understanding really within that. How do I get actually to what is causing the, the anger or the violence or the unhappiness, the depression? What is actually rooted in the source of that? So, give you a few examples here. Jesus in Matthew 5, 28. Uh, if you have a lust problem, really you have at its source a heart problem. He says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He was saying this to people, the Pharisees back then, who had this philosophy that outside of me is everything evil within me. I, I'm good. I'm, I'm doing great. And so... They, they viewed it as, as long as I don't physically commit adultery, I can stare. And you guys have probably heard that. I've heard tons of guys say, well, it's not wrong to look as long as you don't touch. You know, that's, that's the big slogan here in Prineville anyway. And the rest of the world. I don't want to just narrow it down to Prineville. But it's not wrong to look as long as you don't touch. And, and that flows into other things. Pornography and, and addictions and stuff like that. As long as I'm not touching, not cheating on my wife... I can look all I want. Well, Jesus has an altogether different view on that. He says to look at a woman with lust in your heart is to commit adultery with her in your heart. Because from the heart stems the adultery that would be committed. Jesus also says in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So speaking of treasure or wealth, if you... If you can't control your finances. You don't have a spending problem or, or debt problems, credit card problems. You actually have a heart problem. You need to get that under control. You need to get your your discipline at the root and not just at the symptoms and keep throwing solutions to them. And, and Luke... Uh, 645 he says out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks so some people say you know i've got a bad mouth i've got a a loose tongue or i tend to just speak my mind i'm just that kind of person and they're real proud about that fact well jesus says that what come uh, out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks some people they're real good at holding their tongue some people aren't good at holding their tongue either way you can tell by what the person speaks that actually uh, what dwells within the heart the same way the eyes they say are the window to the soul will, more. So is the mouth the the Doorway to the heart you can tell whatever's flowing out of that mouth is what is actually Fixated on uh, in that person's heart in their mind and probably more so uh, When Ryan was here He'd always have this saying when he'd see couples that were hanging out here in church and kind of like kissy kissy They're not married yet basically making out in public He'd always say, whatever they're willing to do in front of you, be sure they're doing ten times more than that in private. And it's the same kind of thing. Whatever that person is willing to say in front of you, probably 10 times more than that is going on within their heart. So if, you, if you're a person who's always perverse, you're always talking about these things, sexual things, or you're always talking about the way you lust after that girl or that guy or that TV show, or maybe you just have an obsession. The only thing you ever talk about is Star Wars or something. I don't know. Some, some just random thing I'm pulling out of the thin air. Um, but that's what your heart is. That's where your treasure is. That's what you focus on. And that's where the overflow of your heart Mark 7, 20, uh, it says, what comes out from a person is what defiles him. Again, I was saying, Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees who had uh, this view. When you look at, uh, or, sorry, he says, and he says to them, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and they defile a person. He's speaking to these people who thought as long as I can keep the world out and I can then everything within me will stay good. They don't know that it's actually within them. Their theology literally was out there is the bad stuff in here I'm good. And that's completely wrong. Religious people tend to think this way. Religious people who think my good works please God and he's so happy with me and as long as my good outweighs my bad I'm I'm okay. I'm rolling good with the Lord. Uh, Jesus says that's not the case. The world is filled with evil and so are we. Everyone else wants to say, in fact, I heard, heard this saying the other day. Whenever you talk to a guy who's in prison, their story usually starts something like, well, I fell in with the wrong crowd. But you never hear the person say, I was the wrong crowd and people fell in with me. It's always, it's not really my fault, I just fell in with the wrong crowd. Everyone thinks they're, they're the innocent victim here even though they're the one who committed the crime and got themselves, you know, whatever, thrown into jail. But if you look at these categories that Jesus is listing here, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, there's there's probably a book on every single one of these that you could go down to your local bookstore or Christian bookstore and pick up, and it would be trying to give you 10 steps to save your marriage, 10 steps to stop being uh, sexually immoral, Ten steps to stop thinking evil. Twelve steps to uh, not be deceitful if you have a lying heart. And it's always, you know, if you can just you can just kick in these rules into gear in your life, then you're, you'll be okay. But, initially here, we saw the first question, why do we sin? And the Bible says, ultimately, it's rooted, Our our nature is rooted in sin from Adam. And the second question, what can we possibly do about our sin and this heart problem? That's really probably the question on your mind. It's like, I'm bumming you all out. We're all a bunch of sinners. Uh, you know that, but all I'm talking about here is how awful our heart can be. What can we do? Again, there's a couple answers that are given at this point. And the first one, again, I'll, I'll give the, the negative answer, the non-Jesus answer first here. Behavior modification. This is everybody's answer to everything. Pretty much all of secular counseling and and psychology and everything can fit under this umbrella of behavioral modification. Uh, You have evil thoughts. We're going to teach you how not to have evil thoughts. We'll we'll put some rules, some restrictions, some steps in your life to get your behavior and get your sin under control. and, And we'll tell you what not to do. And as soon as you can get the what not to do down, you'll not do those things anymore. So, but ultimately, does that really change what's going on in the heart? Is our heart any different? Sure, we've, we've stopped doing those things, but how do we know? Is the root actually dug out? For us, God wants more than for you to be a good person. This might surprise you. God wants more than for you simply to be a good person. God wants you to be a worshiper. He doesn't just want you to not do X, Y, and Z. He actually wants you to worship, to do good things, to love him, to serve, to love your neighbor, to be generous, and all of those things, they're hard to just drum up on your own, to stir them up within your most innermost being. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to be a good person. You can sit there and chant that all day long, but that doesn't change anything. And here's the problem. Behavior modification, all it does is it rearranges the flesh. Takes our sin nature and tries to work around it, but it doesn't deal with the heart. So you're really not getting to the solution. You're not dealing with the problem. And what that leads to is either one of two things, pride or despair. You are successful. Let's say, for example, here, you, you eat too much. You're you know packing on the pounds pretty quick. Oh, you know what I need to do? I need to go on a diet. So I got to stop. I'll make some rules for myself. I'll say, you know what? Don't eat past midnight. Don't do these things. And so it leads to pride or despair, though. Pride, because say you succeed, lose 100 pounds, and and hey, that's a good thing. It's great. Lose some weight. But now you kind of look at everybody else, and you're like, I am so good at what I just did. Look at how good I am. There's no glory to God in that situation. You've done it. You've accomplished this by sheer uh, uh, will and, and just force of your own power that you have within you. Or it leads to despair, right? Seventh diet I've been on. Been on Atkins 25 times and still doesn't seem to be doing the trick. I, gain, I lose the weight, I gain it back. I lose the weight, I gain it back. It's just this continual cycle. And you just get depressed, and you're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm, it's not making any difference. So behavior modification, it's, it's really it's conditioned in us, actually, if you think about it, from our parents. Oftentimes. Sad, but true. And take, take a moment and think about that. I can think, when I was a kid... And actually, I think my, my parents did pretty good with trying to get to the heart problem within the, the kids. And a few years ago, uh, we had John Sine, who's uh, one of the pastors at Calvary Chapel Olympia, and he came down and he did a, a workshop here on a Saturday called Parenting is Heart Work. A little play on words. And the idea was, you don't just want behavior modification in your kids. You actually want a heart that does it out of obedience because they love you and they want to, to obey you and honor you in that but what do we do? If you're a parent, you've probably seen it. I've seen it. I'm not a parent yet, but my wife is pregnant now, and so I get to look forward to this. Um, both my wife and I are the oldest kids. She's the oldest of six kids. I'm the oldest of four boys. And we, we both kind of have the oldest child syndrome a little bit. You know, we were the boss and everything, and we're working on it. But we, we, we got to see how our siblings were raised. You know, between my wife's, uh, my wife and her youngest sibling, I think there's like ten years or so. So more or less, by the time they were getting older, she's an adult, so she kind of gets to parent them a little bit. So we get to experience this. So let's say um, you're wanting your kids to to go and mow the lawn, and you come in and what are they doing? They're playing video games. And you're like, Can have you mowed the lawn yet? No. How come? Mm, playing Nintendo. Okay. All right. And then you start getting frustrated, you come in, why haven't you mowed the lawn yet? Can you stop playing Nintendo? Can you start doing this thing? Would you please stop picking your nose? Would you please stop humming that song? Stop fighting with your brother. Hey, be nice to your sister. That kind of thing. All these, just simply getting at the behavior, but you're not actually saying, hey, why are you fighting with your brother? What's going on in your heart? What's the issue at the root? Why are you sinning against your sister that way? How come you're not obeying your parents? I remember my parents would often ask me the same questions. My mom would sit down and, and be like, hey, that kind of behavior, that's a naughty heart. Not just, hey, you're being, you're being a bad boy, but getting at inside of you, there's some naughtiness that's going on, some disobedience. We had this little saying around our house, and I always tease my mom with it, but um, delayed obedience is disobedience. If you tell your kid to do something and they disobey or they don't do it right away, it's disobedience. It's sin. Why are they doing it, though? Stubbornness of the heart, right? They're selfish. They don't want to do what you tell them to do. And that's the real problem. We need to get down. Okay, we've got to get down to the selfishness. Why are you being selfish? Do you need to repent of the selfishness? So, we're kind of conditioned from an early age to kind of do the behavior modification thing and, and forget about the heart issue. And... We really don't want to do that, obviously. So, as you can probably conclude, behavior modification, not the answer, ultimately. It's not going to make a difference. So what's the alternative? It's what the Bible, we're going to call the doctrine of regeneration, dealing with the heart. Um, Do you guys know who J.I. Packer is? He's a noted author, theologian, he's a, a pastor, and he was asked uh, recently by someone, they asked him what he thought was one of the most important doctrines that Christians should understand, but least understand, and particularly younger Christians. And he, without batting an eye, he said, the doctrine of regeneration. He's getting at that we don't understand that we actually need to have a heart that is changing, that's being renewed. We need to understand how that works, that, that the God who became flesh and dwelt among us and lived a life with us without sin, died the death that we deserve to die, rose again to new life to give us the life we don't deserve to live. We need to understand that all of that actually changes our heart from the inside out. But we don't get it, and we tend to think, God saved me so I can be a good person. Remember I said, you're not expected to be a good person, God wants you to be a worshiper. That's his deepest desire. So, Ezekiel thirty six twenty six through 27 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put it, uh, put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of uh, flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." So we're not just changing the outward, we're not just making a heart that was stoned look a little better by prettying it up, we're actually getting a whole heart transplant through the Spirit of God. He is actually coming in and taking out that hard heart and bringing in the new heart. That is the doctrine of regeneration. So it's not just trying harder with the old heart. It's not just saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best and forget the rest. Uh, you actually get a new heart to start with, a clean slate. Do my best and forget the rest. What's that from Kevin? P90X. <laughs> Little joke there. I, gotta, I, I know you guys are used to Rory, and I'm like, I'm not usually this serious. I'm a pretty, pretty jovial kind of guy, I guess, but I'm, obviously I'm not making any jokes, so... I'll try and do something funny, jump up and down a couple of times or something. But um, so, the other thing we need to understand, though, that this this regenerated heart—it's not something you work toward. It's not something you earn. It's actually a gift from God. Just it is salvation in essence. It's it's the heart of God being given to you. It's the Holy Spirit. So now, it, through regeneration, through this new heart being put into you, you have a new heart, and you have the Holy Spirit working within you, the very Spirit of God changing you. From this, even though this is Ezekiel, the Old Testament, it's a foreshadow of Jesus coming and living without sin and dying for our sins in our place and rising again for our salvation. So if, if we receive this new heart that was promised all the way back then, if we repent of sin, if, we, if uh, we have faith in Jesus, we have the indwelling power and presence of God the Holy Spirit. He's, he's going to work within us. We don't have to rely on our strength. Again, doctrine of regeneration. We're not relying on our strength and, and will to accomplish these things. We're relying on the power of God. It's different. We recognize things are different upstream now because of the, the new heart. Things are flowing differently. We get a fresh source. You have a new Lord. You have a new power. You're not operating in your strength, as I was saying. You have a new purpose. You don't just want to do whatever you want, whatever you feel like. You actually want to live the way God wants you to live. You get get where I'm getting at? It's not just a, I'm going to have a rule to live the way I need to live. I actually want this. I actually have new desires placed within me. In fact you'll want to read the word more. You'll, you'll want to go to church. You'll want to serve. And Peter, he explains it like this. He says, "It's we're like little infants when we first get saved. And when we read the scripture, it's like the way that they desire milk. He says, desire the pure milk of the word so that you might grow, that you might be strengthened from it. And as you get saved, you're going to recognize these things. If you've been that person here, you're like, yeah, I went forward at at a Billy Graham rally, or I went forward at my youth camp, but I really, you know, I never really desired to read the Bible or go to church or serve or love Jesus or stop sinning. Maybe you need to ask yourself, yourself, did I actually receive a new heart, or did I just kind of go through emotion because my friend was doing it? Have I actually been changed? Has regeneration happened in my heart? So, the thing you need to recognize, too, is this doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that, that you have reached perfection. It actually means that you have a new heart, not a perfect heart. It means that you're still growing, you're still learning. One day, yes, you will be resurrected. You'll have resurrected life, and God will give you that perfect body, sinless, holy, completely new. You're not going to have any sin within you. I, think about that. That's, that kind of blows my mind, because I, I can't even think, like... How can I still have my will and my thoughts and my memory and everything, but God is actually going to give me a new nature that I I don't sin? That blows me away. I I don't understand it, but I'm, I'm glad. I'm really happy. So a couple things here. There's 14 marks uh, just in Proverbs, because we're, we're kind of focusing on Proverbs right now. And I'm going to read the verses to you real quick. If you want, we can print you off something so you can look them up uh, on your own later. But here are 14 marks of a new heart, evidence of a new heart that you can kind of check against yourself. A new heart, it has faith, Proverbs 3, five. A new heart, it desires obedience. You aren't just rebellious and like, man, I just want to do whatever I want and give God the finger He made, and I'm off and I'm rolling. I don't care. No, you like that one? There you go. Got a little joke. Okay, so you desire obedience. Proverbs four four, uh, Proverbs five twelve. It's it's corrective within you when when you do sin. You you're like, man, I, kind of, I want to repent of that. I, I don't I don't want to stay the way I am. It, it kind of checks you. You're all, wow, I used to just go ahead and do that thing and fly off the handle and get angry or whatever your, your particular sin was and not feel any sense of grief or guilt about it. Now I feel completely, utterly different. It's corrective. Proverbs 10.8, it's teachable. This is something It's so important and uh, this is something also Ryan, he always he emphasized, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here or anything, he, he liked the fact that I would be teachable with him. Sometimes maybe to a fault I I can be teachable and, you know, just, boom, let people step on me, that kind of thing. Um, no, uh, he he would call me into his office, and if there was an issue, he felt comfortable to say, hey, here here's the problem. I, I want to point that out to you. And I would, at my best, even if inside of me I was just like, mm, that bugs me but I would be teachable. I would humble myself and say, you know what? You're, you're right, actually. I did blow that. Or you're right. I should try harder. I should make sure that I do this thing or that thing and not and not just do whatever I feel like. Teachable. Contentment is another one. Proverbs 14, 30. You're not just going to uh, always want the next best thing. You're going to be content in the Lord. You're going to delight yourself in the Lord. You're going to have this just amazing uh, desire for the things of the Lord. You're not going to be like, man, if I just had a new Miata, oh, I'd be so much happier. If I could just win the Powerball, oh, if I could just get to that next step in my pay grade, if I could just get that job I've been looking for. No. The new heart, the regenerated heart, it has contentment in all things. The Apostle Paul even said this, and of all people, you should look at Paul and go, how in the world could that guy be content? If you read 2 um, Corinthians, he, he lists off just a bit of the things that he went through. Shipwrecked multiple times, beaten several times, uh, stoned once, left for dead. They think he may have actually died and God brought him back to life. I mean, they were pretty good at this. They weren't just throwing pebbles. They were throwing big old rocks. This guy should have been like, you know what? This stinks. I'm, go- I'm moving to the Bahamas. It's nice there this time of year and every time of year. And you don't get stoned all the time, at least not by rocks. (laughs) But no, Paul learned contentment. Paul learned how to be content in all of those things. I I don't know that I could, even in that. Right now, at this stage in my life, if somebody just threw a rock at me while they were driving by, I'd probably be like, this stinks, I hate this town, I'm out of here, you know. No, contentment. Proverbs fifteen fourteen. it loves wisdom. That means when someone brings wisdom to you, they say, hey, I, here's this thing. For what it's worth, I think that you should really listen to this. You're going to be like, you know what? I love that. I, I thank you so much for sharing that with me. You're going to love to look into the word and grow in the wisdom of the word. You're going to seek wise counsel. You're not going to be a, a lone ranger, a maverick out there just doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like, and not seeking out counsel from someone who might know what they're actually doing. If you're going to buy a house, you've never bought a house before, you have no idea what a mortgage is, you, you think it's like a gun or something, you're, 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 you're going to go and find somebody, like maybe a Chad Carpenter, who, who's a mortgage uh, officer. You're going to find him and say, hey, can you help me out with this process? I'm seeking some wisdom here. It's cheerful. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Cheerful, there's a difference, though. There's not the, just the cheerful of, hey, uh, I'm always happy, like, disgustingly happy, you know. You're that person, maybe you work with them in your office, and it's like a nuclear bomb could drop, and they'd just be like, oh, it's such a good day. You know, it's so much warmer now, that kind of thing. No, that's, that's not the kind of cheerful it's talking about. It's talking about a heart that you recognize that no matter what your circumstances are, it kind of goes back to contentment, that it could be much worse. You could not have salvation and be destined for hell. That's a cheerful heart. You recognize the bigger picture. Helpful, you see a need, you go, and you jump in and help. You don't just do the, the classic church thing, which is, hey, uh, I really think that you need to start a ministry like this, and uh, hey, there's this guy that uh, the the people in the wheelchairs, they can't get through, and so I really think you should do something about that. That's not helpful. <laughs> Anybody can be an armchair quarterback and point things out. That's That's, you know... Everybody thinks that they would make the best coach of the football team or whatever, when really, if they got out there, they'd probably panic. What is helpful is the person who says, hey, I noticed this. I want to know what I can do to help. I have some finances. I have some ability. Uh, I have a skill. Can I jump in? Can I help? That's a helpful person. Discerning. Pro- Proverbs 16, 21. You can discern. You can tell the difference between when someone's lying or being honest with you. You can tell if, if there is... Uh, sometimes even the discerning of spirits, it talks about that as as one of the gifts, to discern the spirits. It also says to test the spirits. Don't just take whatever somebody says as, hey, the Holy Spirit is here in me, and he says that we should all go buy shotguns and move up into the woods. That's, That's not necessarily the Holy Spirit. And you need to test it discerningly by the spirit within you, and then also looking at the word. Discernment. Persuasive. Proverbs 16.23 16.23 talks about how the, the words of, of a, a wise heart, the words of a person that uh, has wisdom, they, they can be persuasive. You know how to not persuade to just get your own gain, but actually to, to stand up and say, you know what, somebody needs to lead, and I, I see the need here. I'm going to stand up and lead these people and persuade them in the good things, the glory of God, the worship of God. Uh, making sure that they're not sinning. that That's a wise heart, a good heart. A couple more things. Humble. Good heart is humble. A new heart, that is. Uh, intelligent. You don't always think of that. You're not just going to be foolish and running around with foolish stories. A regenerated heart. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, do you think that maybe he's pretty smart? Like It doesn't have to mean that you're going to ace your SATs or something, but... But you could pray about it. Maybe the Lord will help you. I think it's a good thing to pray about all that kind of stuff. But it's a beautiful thing, it says, in Proverbs 27, 19. And in 28, 14, a regenerate heart is repentant. Ultimately, a regenerate heart is one that will be quick to repent. I had a teacher in Bible college, and he a few things that he said stuck to me, uh, just stuck in my mind. And one of them was, a righteous man is is not a perfect man. It's simply one who's quick to repent. As soon as you see sin, as soon as it's brought to your attention, you are quick to repent. It breaks your heart. If it's a sin you didn't know you committed, you're just like, oh, I'm devastated. If it's one you do know you committed, and you're you're just kind of like, oh, I don't really want to. But you recognize, man, I blew it. A righteous heart, a humble, regenerate heart is quick to repent. So, couple of verses here pop up on the screen getting around to the whole thing Just going to put these two verses together the purpose of a man's heart is like deep water but a man of understanding can draw it out he says that a man's heart the purposes it's like a deep well again thinking of that that springs of life that well spring of life that at the river or if you drill a well a lot of people around here drill a well and if you get a bad well, you got bad water, right? you got to go and drill elsewhere. But a, a man's heart, the purposes, the plans, the actions, it's like deep water. But a, a man of understanding, and I don't think it's necessarily a man of understanding toward another person, but an act, actually that man of understanding with that heart knows how to draw that water out. And then if you look at Psalm thirty-seven, four, all of you guys kind of know this one, I'm sure. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What I don't believe that's speaking of is as long as I delight myself in the Lord, I'm going to get that new car or that new job or win the lottery or get that raise. You might, maybe the Lord will bless you with that. But I think what he really means there is when you delight yourself in the Lord with your new regenerate heart, you're like that man with the deep heart, you you're wise, you have understanding that if I delight myself in the Lord, He will actually put new desires in my heart. Because here's here's the thing. This is why, again, the behavior modification stuff, all of that, it, it it's ineffective ultimately because it doesn't change the heart. But when you have that new heart and you delight yourself in the Lord, you understand that all of a sudden your desires change. And let me see where I lost my place here. But um, you recognize here that Christianity, it's totally different than any other religion. Religion says, you know, again, getting at the behavior modification thing. Religion says that you have bad desires, so we're going to make a bunch of rules. And if you break them, you'll be severely punished. Right? So... The whole motivation. It's all about fear and intimidation, control, shame, guilt. What you can't do. I can't do that. I can't think about that. I can't have lustful thoughts. Don't don't think lustful thoughts. Don't think lustful thoughts. That kind of thing. I'm just going to sit there all day. Well, again, you guys all know the analogy of the pink elephant. Don't think about a pink elephant. Now all of you guys are thinking about a pink elephant. And the more you sit there and go, no pink elephants, please. No, 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 no. It just becomes more clear in your mind, even more detail, because you're focusing on what you can't do. Again, it's not about being a passionless person, but actually the concept of the new heart, it's, it's completely different because it has deep desires, like the deep purposes, the deep water. It's not about what you don't get to do, it's actually about what you do get to do. Uh, John Corson, pastor Calvary Chapel in Applegate, Oregon, he always says, it's a get-to, not a got-to. I get to worship the Lord today. I get to serve the Lord. I get to go and be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I get to go on that mission trip. I get to wake up and go to work every day and honor God by the way I work at my job and work hard and bless the people around me and am a good witness. It's not a, I have to do it. So you get those desires, actually, though, by delighting yourself in the Lord And he will actually put those desires in your heart, as we said earlier. But again, it's not about being a passionless person. It's actually about being a very passionate person. Do you get what I'm saying there? Not about what you can't do in killing desire and passion. It's actually about getting new passions and desires. Because when you have the big passion, the deep passions and desires, you actually don't really feed the lesser passions, right? You kill those by default. You don't have to think about them because your time, your energy, your talents, your focus, everything is fixed on the deep passions that God has put in your heart. And yes, yes, sometimes you will. You'll have conflicted desires. You'll want to do things that you shouldn't, things that are sinful, because you're a conflicted person. As long as you're in this body, you will be a conflicted person. God's in the process of sanctifying you, of setting you apart, and changing you into someone else. But in your new heart, what are the deepest desires? What are they? God's desires for you. What has he given to you? What is it that you're passionate about? It's what God wants you to become. And this isn't, I don't mean this to be like this pep talk message, like, you're a champion, and you know, that's not what I'm I'm getting at here at all. I'm getting at that because you're a new creation... God has given you that new heart. He's given you the new desires. As you delight yourself in the Lord, you're going to see that those desires well up even more. You're going to draw them out as a man of understanding. So, what does God want you to do? What is your passion? What is, and I'm not talking about, are you passionate about snowboarding or something? Or are you passionate about shooting guns and hunting? That's all great and fine. But what is your deep passion you want to repent, right? When you have that deep desire within you. You want to worship, so you worship, right? You want to be generous, so you are generous. When you just search your heart for a moment and you think, what is, what is the passion that God has put within my heart? Maybe you, you realize, I want to be humble, I want to actually submit. I want to. I want to be a gracious person. I want to serve others. I want to get to know the scriptures. So you get to know the scriptures. It's not this. Oh darn it! I got to read my Bible again. And I know so many of us, myself included, I get trapped in that thought of. Oh, I didn't read my Bible yet again today. Oh, woe is me! I got to start doing that. No, I need to stop viewing it as this punishment or this this accomplishment that I must get done for the day. I just need to delight myself in the Lord and passionately pursue the things that he has put before me. And you know what? I, I really do. I love the scriptures, and I love learning the word and getting to know the Lord through that. And when I start thinking of it that way, it's like, hey, I found myself reading the Bible for an hour and a half or something. You know, And, and let me tell you, that's not a regular occurrence either, so I'm not bragging about it. But your passions change. And ultimately, you want to love Jesus, so you begin to love Jesus, Right? Maybe you guys are thinking this question to yourself. If you were being interviewed and somebody asked you this, as a Christian, aren't there a lot of things that you'll have to give up once you become a Christian that you really, really want to do? My answer to that is, is no, actually, I'm doing exactly what I want to do. You know what I, I do in my deepest desire within my heart? I want to read my Bible. I want to love my wife. I want to raise my kids when I have kids. I want to raise them well to love Jesus and be obedient. I want to help my friends when I can. I want to learn, grow, change, repent. That's exactly what I want to do. And maybe you're thinking, but but there's still that, there's just that bit of you, right, that, that you wish you could do those things. You're, aren't there some things that, that you want to do that you're not supposed to. It's off limits. Those are the naughty things. And yeah, definitely, there are some things. But you know what? Those are the weaker desire. Those should be. Those are the lesser desire, the conflicted one. And what I'm talking about are the deepest desires. And there's this quote that I got for you guys, and I printed it on this awesome piece of cardstock that has the uh, children's lesson on the back. So if you guys want a copy of the children's lesson tonight, you can come grab that from me. But um, C.S. Lewis has this quote, and I want to read it to you, and so I will. <laughs> Here it is. It says, Indeed, if, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the reward, rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making pies in, the, in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offering of a holiday at the sea. And here's the clincher of this quote that like burns in my mind like a fire. We are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis said that, in the weight of glory. And here's something I actually found this guy who commented on that, and I loved what he said. He says, that's it. The enemy of worship is not that our desire for pleasure is too strong, but too weak. We have settled for a home, a family, a few friends, a job, a television, a microwave oven, an occasional night out, a yearly vacation— and perhaps a new personal computer we have accustomed ourselves to such meager short-lived pleasures that our capacity for joy has shriveled and so our worship has shriveled many can scarcely imagine what is meant by a holiday at the sea worshiping the living god you get what he's saying there he's saying it's not it's not the other way around it's not that yeah i got to settle for the you know loving god part of things and i got to do those. No, those are actually what we were made for, the very thing we're meant to do that is going to bring us the ultimate joy. And here's what I believe in, and I pray this often uh, after service, but that as we bring God his glory, we get our joy because that's what we were crafted to do. As we give him the glory that he is worthy of and deserves, we get our joy. Do you believe that? That's really the issue there. We don't. We think, eh, that takes away from me doing the things I want to do. I want my glory. I'm going to go out and pursue that and leave God's glory to Sunday mornings. That, that should be enough. I'll give him the 10%, my tithe of my life, <laughs> and I'll go out and use the other 90% on the rest of the week on the things I want. No, we're far too easily pleased. We are like that kid making a mud pie when God's like, i got a feast for you. That's the real thing. That's the real pleasure. That's the real joy. So God wants us to be exceedingly passion, passionate, not passionless. He doesn't want us to kill desire for evil things. He would rather us build up desire for, for greater things, to recognize that there's so much more than the things you see, the things you want, the desires and passions that, that just pervade your mind and, and your, your focus. So, as a Christian, you need to pay attention to your deepest desires. And they are likely the desires God has given to you. Sure, you may be like, you know, some of you guys, I really like to look at porn. Maybe that's my desire. No, no. If you're a Christian, your deepest desire, you know what I'm talking about, is you feel, you feel terrible about that stuff. Your deepest desire is, is to repent. And to be free of that, but you feel trapped. Maybe you're you're that person who's been seeking your glory or your fame, and you never get satisfied because you never can be satisfied by those things. But yet you keep on pursuing, like like a racer on a exercise bike trying to win a, tri- a triathlon or something like that, hopping on, pedaling away, pedaling away, pedaling away till you croak. You haven't gone anywhere, but you're like, but I'm. I'm making great time, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm really pedaling that bike fast, but you're not moving. Let's hop on the bike of pursuing God's glory, pursuing Him, the deepest passions that He gives us. And maybe you guys right now, you're thinking, what is my deepest passion? Is marriage? I want to have a good marriage. You can have that, that can be a deep passion. Missions, ministry, having kids, serving others, learning the scriptures, growing in humility... Like I said, Christianity, it's about a new heart and the power of the Holy Spirit boring deep into us to bring out new desires. He's drawing, building in us a new well, a new wellspring of life to flow out. And it's so sad, you guys, when Christianity is pitched to people as what you have to do instead of what you get to do. And that's the shame, the shame, fear, guilt-based way of keeping you from doing the things rather than boring into those deep, passionate desires, knowing that if, you've, if you're pursuing your deep and passionate desires for God, like I said earlier, the lesser passions, the lower ones, those won't be as strong. So I don't want you to kill passion. We don't want you to do that here. We want you to redeem it. Go out and, and redeem the things. There's nothing in this world that God has not made for good and for his glory. It is only Satan's lie and, and ability to pervert things, like sexuality, like, like uh, finances. Money in itself is not evil. The, the love of money is evil. The pursuit of that, how people use it can be evil. But you can go out and you, you can redeem those things. So, I know we've got, let's take five minutes We're going to break up into groups. I talked to a few people beforehand about just sort of leading a little small group. So if you guys would raise your hand if you're still in here. And uh, if you guys are around those people, and maybe some of you need to spread out or whatever, I want you to join up with those guys in just a second here. I'll pray. But here are the four questions that we want you to ask. First of all, be honest. Don't lie. God knows. Do you have a new heart, and how do you know? And maybe not all of you will get to answer that, but but don't don't say yep yep I'm good. You're not good. You're you're lying and deceiving yourself if you don't have a new heart. Uh, and if you're just a, a religious person who's been here tonight and you're like, you know, I've I haven't understood until right now that God gives you a new heart. And I, up until now, I've just been putting in rules and regulations, trying to obey these things to modify my behavior uh, so that so that I can look good and think I have a new heart, but. But do you actually have a new heart? You need to examine yourself with that. Maybe that's just something for you right now. But first question, do you have a new heart and how do you know? Second, what is God showing you about your heart lately? I think this is a great question. If you're married or if you, you have a good friend and you're both Christians, ask each other this often. Do you, what is God showing you about your heart lately? It's a great way. Instead of the, so what are you, where are you at in your devotions? or you know, <laughs> there's, there's always these holy ways to sound really spiritual. So, dude, like, uh, what's God doing in your life? You know, what, How about this? What's God showing you about your heart? <laughs> how are you growing and repenting of sin? Again, what can you do to nourish your heart? And what desires are even deeper than your desire for sin? So I want you guys to think about that one, especially. What desires are deeper? What is your deepest passion? Like I said, we don't want to kill passion. We actually want to drill deep. And we want this, this thought of understanding a regenerate heart, to go deep and let out those passions that God has put within you so that you can actually obey and serve and love him, and you get to do it, and it's not a big overwhelming thing. So I'll pray real quick, and then you guys go ahead and meet up. Lord Jesus, we do, I, I pray for just our friends here, Lord, that, that uh, they, ha- they don't have that new heart, Lord, Lord, we ask that you would give them that new heart. If that is their desire, that they would recognize their great need for you and they would repent of sin, that they would come into relationship with you, that you would take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh and that they would know that all they have to do is ask. They have to acknowledge their sin, come to you, repent, and and you will give that to them. And, And if there are those here tonight who desire that, may they pray that prayer. Simple as that to just, Lord Jesus, I want I want to be on your team. I want, I want to forget my sin. I want new life and a new heart. And Lord, for those who have that heart, but maybe they've been operating just out of religiosity, just going through these motions, trying to look good on the outside. Lord, I pray that they would see that it's more than just about man's rules that they've made, but it is about that new heart. And Lord, I pray for those here who are, tempted by sin and we all know what that's like lord i pray that that you would show them that they don't want to settle for this lesser passion lord and and just focus on trying to get rid of that stuff flowing in their stream but rather may they go to the heart and delight in the things that you have given them in their deepest desires lord and i pray they would they would delight themselves in you and we pray this ultimately lord for your glory and your joy in jesus name amen